morning in my presence. You know him and you know that hope and a peace that passes all understanding. Before we begin, and we will be beginning a brand new series this morning in the book of 1 Peter, so I'm excited to begin that series with you. But as we do every week, before we begin, we're going to take a moment. We're going to read a verse of Scripture, and we're going to spend just a few moments in silent prayer, asking the Lord to cleanse our hearts, to speak to us through His Word today, and to be prepared to receive from Him whatever it is He has for us. So I'm going to read to us from Micah chapter 7 verses 18 and 19, and then we'll spend a few moments silently together praying, and then I'll lead us corporately. Micah 7, 18 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Father, we rejoice today in the work of the Son that He would willingly leave heaven, become flesh, suffer the cruel death on Calvary, He placed in a borrowed tomb and three days later rise victoriously. Lord, we're here today because we believe that, we've experienced that, and we're thankful for that experience that we've had. Lord, help us today to not just make the resurrection a a one-time-a-year event in our lives, but something that we reflect on every day, that because He lives, we truly can face tomorrow. And more than that, we can be ready for eternity. And Lord, we pray today for those that are here that may not have that relationship with Jesus, that you would speak to them, that you would show them your love and grace towards them, and that they may enter into that saving relationship themselves. Lord, help us today to make it all about you for your glory and honor and praise. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. First Peter, as I said, is where we'll be today. And the title of my message is the same as the song, All My Hope, or we might say All Our Hope is in Jesus. Peter has a lot to say about suffering. And I think for all of us, we can relate to suffering in human terms. All of us at times will suffer. We're not immune from it. And as Christians, we don't escape it. But we can endure it. And we can endure it in a different way than the world without Jesus endures it. We can have a hope and a peace and an assurance in the midst of our trials, that allows us to be able to say that even when things are most difficult, our hope is still steady and sure. And so Peter is going to lay a foundation for that throughout this epistle, and he's going to begin by reassuring some folks that have been scattered about because of persecution taking place. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you one last time to stand with me in reverence for God's Word, and we are going to read verses 1 through 9 together from 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of the God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word and for this opportunity to gather together. Lord, may You speak to us now. May Your Spirit move among us and accomplish whatever it is that He would see fit in our lives and in our hearts. We thank you again for your love to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. There was a 19th century pastor by the name of Alexander McLaren who said this, Those who know the path to God can find it in the dark. If you've walked with God long enough, you will be well acquainted with seasons of grief. And yet, past experience will tell you, that God has never left nor forsaken His children, and even in the valley of the shadow of death, He leads us along, and He is faithful. And so as we look at Peter's letter today, I want you to notice the six words that he opens with. And I hope that we don't just brush through that introduction. Because he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Peter... Peter, the, the one that was an ignorant fisherman, the one that put his foot in his mouth so often, the one who Jesus had to rebuke and said, get behind me, Satan, that Peter, the one who in the courtyard denied Jesus three times, Peter, an apostle, yes, by grace. Peter was an apostle. The power of the gospel and the life-giving, transforming power of the Spirit of God turned Peter into the apostle. He changed him. Why do I say that? Why do I emphasize that at the beginning? Because some of you here today and some of you watching online have believed the lie that you are too bad, too far gone, that God can't do anything with you and He won't do anything with you. Some of you are members of this church or members at other churches and you know that God has called you into specific areas of ministry or service and yet you have not been willing to commit to those things because you still feel that somehow God cannot possibly use you. God does not make a mistake. If He calls you, He wants you. And if He wants you, He will equip you, my friend. And so when we see that Peter is an apostle 
It is just another trophy of God's amazing grace. It shows us what He can do. It shows us what the gospel can do. Because God is not trying to just save good people and make them better. He's trying to save lost sinners and make them alive. We don't just need cleaning up. We need a new birth. And only Christ can do that. He's not interested in picking out the greatest of the great and building an all-star team. He takes those that are foolish and uses the foolish to confound the wisdom of the world. That's how God operates. Why? So that He gets the glory. There's nothing we can boast in. It is God's grace alone that equips us. And we see that right off the bat with Peter, an apostle. I want us to look at this today, and I just have three, three points that we're going to look at. The first being that we have a living hope. We as believers have a living hope. Look at verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed. He's worthy of praise is what Peter is saying. God the Father is worthy of praise. That's why we're here today, to worship and exalt the Godhead, to praise the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for their work in our lives and in our world, which is where our source of hope comes from. But notice that between verse 1 and verse 3, he mentions who particularly he is writing this letter to. He is writing it to God's people who have been dispersed. That word means literally to take seed and scatter it. They've been dispersed about persecution has driven them from their homes into a strange land. And they are suffering. They are suffering from their own Jewish brothers and sisters, and they are suffering from Roman oppression as well. They're getting it from both sides. And yet, in the midst of all that trouble, Peter is still going to lead them in a song of praise. Now, let's be honest. When things get tough, do we really feel like praising God? No, we don't. It's easy to come in here on a Sunday when things are good and the sun is shining and all is right in our little world and praise God. But when trials come, we don't often turn praise on right we might turn pity on but we don't turn praise on and I think one of the classic examples of someone who suffered great loss and was still able to praise was Job most of us know the story of Job over and over and over people kept coming to him with more bad news and more bad news Job all of your servants have been killed Job, all of your livestock have been killed. Job, your children have been killed. Can you imagine in a flurry, one after another, getting that kind of news? To be grieved in your heart that deeply. How would we respond? How should we respond? Listen to what Job does in Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Upon hearing all this, no this news, Job arose... And what's he do first? He tore his robe and he shaved his head. 
My friends, believers grieve. There's nothing strange about you if you shed tears and have grief in this life. Being a believer does not mean that you don't experience the reality of a cursed world where death happens, where sin happens, and we are grieved by that. You wouldn't be normal if you didn't experience grief. But for the Christian, it doesn't end with just simple worldly grief without hope. Because look what Job does after he tears his robe and shaves his head. He falls to the ground and he worships. He falls to the ground and he worships and says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He understood that it was not God's original intent for death to be a part of His creation. But he understood that the wages of sin was death, that sin was a reality, and so there was death. But he knew that God was in control, and he knew that there was something beyond the grave. That's why he could later say, I know that my Redeemer lives, and I will stand and see Him face to face. Job had that assurance, which allowed him to be able to have confidence and to be able to worship in the midst of a terrible tragedy and in the face of grief. But not only that, look at back in our text. Peter encourages these scattered believers to praise God according to the Lord's great mercy. Not just mercy. I'm glad he included the word great because of his great mercy. Why is it great? Because we owe a great debt. A little bit of mercy is not what we need. We need a whole lot of mercy. Great mercy. We have greatly sinned against our God. But He provides great mercy. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And He provides more than we need out of the sheer goodness of Himself. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. He freely gives it because that's the kind of God that He is. And then he says, not only do we receive great mercy, but He has caused us to be born again. Who caused it? God did. God caused it. Some of you, maybe watching or in this room, believe that you have a ticket to heaven because you're a good person, because you try really hard every day to keep the Ten Commandments, because you try really hard to do good deeds for other people, because you try really hard to be an outstanding citizen. And those are all good things. But my friend, if you're counting on that to get you into heaven one day, you'll stand before God and hear, Depart from me, I never knew you. Because that is not the way that you enter into eternal life. The Bible says here that it is because of the, the great mercy of God that He caused us to be what? Born again. You can't do anything to make yourself born again. You didn't do anything to make yourself born the first time. Someone else had to do something. And God has to do something the second time if you have any hope of being born again. What does that mean? It literally means born from above. It means that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. All of us are born in sin and condemned. 
and we need to be transformed into something else. We need to have a spiritual regeneration, a new birth, become new creatures, and only God can do that for us. Jesus told a religious Pharisee in John 3, 3, these words, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's as clear as that. Jesus says that you must be born again, and the only way to be born again is to place faith in Him. He is the source of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. You must be born again, and to be born again, you must turn from your sins and trust Christ. And that is what Peter is driving home to these believers. Because they have done that, they have a confidence. They have a living hope. Do you see that in our text? He says he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. A text that's often used in funeral situations, I've used it many, many times, is 1 Thessalonians 4. Speaking of the rapture in that text, the second coming of Christ in that text, but specifically, he starts off, the Apostle Paul starts off in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 saying this to the church in Thessalonica who was afraid that maybe they had missed Jesus' second coming and were concerned that they had been left. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have gone on, those who have died, that you may not grieve. He doesn't say you won't grieve. They are grieving, and they will grieve. That word there literally means the experience of childbirth, the pain that you go through, ladies, that you go through having, child, having children. That is the kind of pain that he says we will face. But you don't grieve as those who have no hope. The world will grieve in a different way than Christians will because this is all they have. This is as good as it gets. And for the believer, we have a hope that transcends the grave because the tomb is empty. We are celebrating today not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but that we will rise from the dead because of what He's done for us. We are here today to praise the Lord, and we are here to thank the Lord that we get to be a part of what He's done for us. What a wonderful thing. That's what Peter says, that we have a living hope. Why? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. An empty tomb, a risen Savior, a victory won. That is what we're celebrating. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57. Paul concludes this portion of Scripture with a shout of praise, if you will. He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that. Who gives us the victory. We possess it. Upon faith in Christ, we possess victory. You know what's sometimes so discouraging to me? You know who the most downcast, defeated, just face dragging on the ground group of people is sometimes? Christians. 
Should it be that way? Look, again, I get it. We go through rough days, we go through rough times, and you shouldn't just fake it till you make it and put on a, a face, a fake face, and, and pretend that everything's okay if it's not. Church is a place where you ought to be able to come with all your heaviness and your burdens and not have to pretend. If you're struggling this morning, you're in the right place. Lay those burdens down. Pray with one another. You, that's what church is about, not just pretending to be okay when you're not. But we ought to be able to shout and we ought to be able to be excited because God has done so much for us. And we walk around constantly in a state of gloom. And I just don't understand. Unless you really don't have what you think you have. And I'm not the judge of that. But I find it hard to believe that you can be saved and never be thankful and excited and let people see that on your face and in your talk and in your actions about what Jesus has done for you. We have a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead. And we ought to live like we believe that. We ought to live like we really believe that. Jesus told a grieving sister who had lost her brother four days earlier these words in John eleven twenty five and 26. He says to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Now listen to this. Whoever believes in me. Does that exclude anybody in this room? Does there, is there a clause in it? I don't care what translation you're using this morning. Is there an asterisk with some small print that excludes certain people in your Bible? No, there's not. Whoever believes in me, though he die, you're still going to die physically, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the question, and I asked the question to you. Do you believe this? Your eternity hinges on the answer to that question. He doesn't say anything about working hard, trying hard, being better, cleaning yourself up. He says, whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes shall never die. It's all about faith in Christ. It's all about God causing you to be born again it's not about you we have a hard time in this self-centered selfish world about getting our eyes off ourselves. but if you ever want to be saved you're going to have to get your eyes off yourself for a minute and look to the cross and look beyond the cross to that empty tomb and see where your hope comes from you're going to have to do that and then he goes on in verses four and five and he talks about an inheritance that we have an inheritance that's promised for us. It's preserved for us. It's protected but for us. And all of that is done again, not by anything that we do, but by God. Kept in heaven for you, look at verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I ask you again, do you really believe the things that Jesus has said to his people. If you do, it has to affect the way that you live your life. It has to. There is no way that you can meet the glorified, resurrected Christ by faith and not be radically changed. If you have not been changed, you have not been born again, my friend. I don't know how else to tell you. If there's no fruit of the Spirit, if there's no fruit in your life, if there's no grace, if there's no new, new mind, being transformed, you have not yet been saved, but you can be today.
That is the question. Jesus said, I've gone on to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Did he not say that? That is a promise. He has gone to prepare a place, and he will come again and receive his people, not all people, his people, unto himself. The Bible says that eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You can't even imagine the place that Jesus has gone to prepare for you. But he has gone, and he will come back. Mark it down. But again, if you say amen and praise God and hallelujah, do you live like you believe it? Is your life reflective of what you claim to believe? Only you can answer that. The scriptures say that he who begun a good work in us will see it completed until the day or the coming of Christ Jesus. He started something in you, my friend, he will finish it. There are none that are truly his that fall by the wayside. There are none that are truly born again that fall out of the way. If they go out from among us, it proves that they weren't of us. Because if they were of us, they would have continued with us. 1 John 2, 19. And so there's a promise that is made. But why do we struggle so much to live like that? Because we allow our circumstances to speak louder into our life than the Word of God. When things get tough, when circumstances don't go as we planned, when interruptions come into our lives, when obstacles come into our lives, those things scream at us because we live so much by sight and by feeling and by emotions and they overwhelm us. And in a moment of panic and perhaps unbelief, we forget the sure promises of God and we're convinced that our circumstances will never change, that the season that we're in at the moment will be our season for life, and we fall right into the pitfalls of the flesh and the enemy, believing that God has failed us, that God doesn't love us, that God dropped the ball, and because this time in my life is so difficult, all the stuff that I used to believe must not be true. You've forgotten how good he's been. You've forgotten about the empty tomb. You've forgotten about the victory that he's promised. Because in that moment, you let your circumstances speak louder than the still small voice. But he's the same God. He's the same God in the valley as he is on the mountaintop. He's never, ever failed to see one of his promises come true, and you know that. If you're a child of God, you know that. I've went through some difficult times in my life, physically, mentally, spiritually, and by the grace of God, He's brought me through every single one of them. It wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy it. I don't want to go back and do it again. But my goodness, He's always been there. He's always been there. And He'll be there for you too. Because we have a living hope. And number two, we have a tested faith. Verse 6 and 7, it says, In all this... And all this good news that he's just talked about. You rejoice, but for a little while, if necessary, you're going to be grieved by various or manifold trials. Why? Why does God allow us to experience trials? Why doesn't God just put us in a bubble and protect us from all evils so that our life is just like Joel Osteen says it ought to be? Every day is a Friday, and we get nothing but wealth and health, and everything is great. That's a wonderful message that a lot of people buy into because it sounds so good. The problem is it's a 
a big load of baloney. It's a big load of baloney. It is. It's not biblical. It's just not biblical. It's not. One of these days, we're going to leave this place and go somewhere where there is no sin and there is no death and there is no more sickness and hurt and pain. But that's not going to happen this side of glory. Not in this old fallen world. It's just not going to happen, friend. Not here. But he says, rejoice. Look how he starts out verse 6. He still starts, in this you rejoice, but there's going to be some trials. There's going to be some grief. Why? Why, God? Don't we ask that question at times? Haven't we all asked why? I've never met a believer yet, no matter how strong in their faith, that hasn't had a season where they said, why? Well, perhaps, perhaps this is why. Verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes. All the stuff in the world that you're chasing after, this is more important, he's saying. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you go through those seasons, God is refining you. He's letting you feel the heat get turned up a little bit so that the dross is melted away and what's left is more pure than what you started with. The faith that you have when you come through the trial will be greater and deeper and more intimate with Christ than what it was when you went into it. And the only way that can happen is through trials. It will not happen through health, wealth, and prosperity. I can promise you that. But it will happen through trials. It will happen through trials because... A genuine faith is not simply a momentary profession that you made when you were eight at VBS that bears no fruit beyond that single emotional moment that you had when you filled out that card and prayed a prayer. If that is your Christian experience, if you are 30, 40, 50 years old, and you're still looking back when you signed a card 30 years ago and you never have bore any fruit since that night, there's something bad wrong. Listen, salvation is instantaneous. The moment you believe, you are saved, if you are truly saved. But the faith that you place in Christ in that moment will be a faith that endures your whole life. It's not like the flu shot. You don't just get vaccinated and say, I'm good, I got my card now, I can go anywhere I want to, and I'm headed to heaven because I got vaccinated when I was eight. It's not how it works. When you give your life to Christ, a new birth happens, and the experience continues on your entire life. Your faith endures your entire life. That doesn't mean that you don't have seasons where you doubt, seasons where you struggle, seasons where you backslide. That is the experience of every single Christian, the pastor included. But you will never ultimately fall away. Because he'll leave the 99 to go find the one. He'll welcome the prodigal home. He will chastise those whom he loves. And he will be sure that he will not lose one of his elect. But you have to ask yourself today, am I playing a game with this thing or am I really saved? Am I really saved? Not because I think I am, because I feel like I am, because I signed a card, because I got a Bible with my name on the front of it and the pastor wrote a nice little note in the front when he gave it to me, don't, please, don't bank eternity on that. Place your eternal hopes in the risen Christ. 
and the relationship that you have with Him. And be sure of that because your life bears witness to the fact that you are different and that the Spirit of God lives within you. That's what Peter is saying to them. It's not always going to be comfortable, but your faith is being tested. And when you come through those trials, still believing, still trusting, still looking for God, still crying out to God, even if your faith is so small that all you can do is try to grab onto the hem of His garment, that's enough. But you've got to keep your eyes on Christ. A living hope, a tested faith, and last one, we'll close quickly, a certain outcome. Verse 8, he says to them there, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We love Christ, but only because he first loved us. We love Christ not by sight, but by faith. We look to Him, we heard the gospel message preached, we believe that Jesus Christ was the virgin-born Son of God, that He laid down His life on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice. He took our place on the cross. He shed His blood for us. That was our death that should have been happening. And He did it for us. And when you turn from your sin and by faith cry out to that Jesus to forgive you, He will do just that. And you will know that he did just that because your life will never be the same. It will never be the same. Romans 5, 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. The reason why believers can love their enemies, the reason why believers can show love in the face of horrible circumstances is because it's not our love that's coming out. It's God's love that's been poured into us. And we simply pour it out as a drink offering, if you will, before Him. That is how we live the Christian life. We love Christ. We trust Christ. We trust Christ. Or do we? Or do we? We often say things again like, I just, I don't understand why. Or I can't see, I can't see anything good coming from this. Again, we're... we're we're not walking in faith at that moment. We're looking. We want to see tangible results. We want to see something that we can touch. We want to see a change happen. We want to experience something. And in that moment, we're not operating in faith anymore. We are wanting to see it. Just like Thomas wanted to see Jesus and touch his hands and put his finger in the wound. He wanted to see him. It wasn't faith. And Jesus said, blessed are those that believe without seeing. Right? can't see any good coming from this thing. I don't know why, God, I'm going through this, and I just can't see anything good happening. Romans 8, 28, we quote it all the time, but I don't know that we understand it or if we believe it. It says, Paul says, we what? We know. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. He doesn't say that all things are good. Getting a call that you have cancer is not good. Getting a call that someone you love has just died is not good. God doesn't call those things good. He says that in any circumstance, we know that God is able to make all things work together for good. 
Somehow, some way, God can take all this mess, including me and you, and make something beautiful out of it. And that's what He's doing in our lives and in our church and in our world. But we walk around with sullen faces and we walk around defeated and discouraged and we walk around mad about everything all the time and we walk around defeated and then we come in here and try to say, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And you're lying. Because I can see your faces when I stand up here and I don't see a lot of joy, joy, joy down in anybody's heart a lot of times. And maybe you feel the same way about me. But let's change that. Let's change that because if we really believe this, we ought to be able to smile a little bit. We ought to be able to... We ought, Rosie raises her hand a lot, and I've never seen the walls fall in yet. And I guarantee you that they won't fall in if you raise your hand and show a little emotion either. It's okay. Because I guarantee if you're on the prices right and you want a brand new car, buddy, you do cartwheels down this aisle. But when we talk about you just been saved from hell and that you have eternal life, and I just don't get it sometimes. I'm not picking on you. I'm not saying you've got to get all excited to worship God. But I just don't know how you can't get excited a little bit every once in a while. Just every once in a while. Verse 9, he talks about what we received from Christ. We obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you're a believer, you have a guarantee here that you are going to obtain the outcome of your faith. Whenever it was that you looked to Christ, it started something in you. And you're going to see the end result of that, my friend. The empty tomb guarantees it. Jesus promises it. And you will see it. But the question is, you better make sure that you're on the narrow way and not the broad road. You better make sure that you're really walking with Christ and not just playing a religious game. Only you can answer that. Charles Spurgeon said, Little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. We can experience it now. Some of us are always, all we're thinking about is just flying off to glory and how great that will, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I'm looking forward to it too. But do you know that we can live right now in the experience of what Christ has done for us? The church on earth will be the church in heaven. Do you realize that? And so if these believers here will be those believers there, we ought to operate to some degree like we will when we're in heaven together. We ought to operate with love and grace, a desire to reach the lost, because all of those things are the only reason why we exist. We ought to be able to live out the Christian life now, not just say, well, I'm a believer, and I'm going to keep a low profile until the Lord comes back. You ought to be telling people the good news because they need it. And they're not going to hear it unless you get out there and tell them. Each one of you has an obligation and an opportunity to do that. Are you using it? And so we close. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up. These folks were exiled. They were dispersed, just like us. We may not have been persecuted out of our home, per se, but this world isn't our home. No matter what you call home, no matter where your roof is, this is not your home. Your home is in heaven. Your home is not here. We look for a city whose author and builder is God. That is where our home is. And so we are exiles here. We are strangers and sojourners here. We're pilgrims and aliens here. Don't live with such a tight grip on this world. 
because you're not going to take anything here with you. This is not your home. And so I close with this challenge. Do you today have a living hope, a real living hope, rooted and grounded in Christ? Have your trials and, and tests test that you've been going through been rocking you lately? Have you been going through stuff that's just been overwhelming? Take your eyes for a moment off the storm and look at the one that calms the storm. And trust Him that He has never failed you and He won't fail you this time, my friend. Child of God, He will not fail you. He will not fail you. And finally, have you considered the salvation that's available to you? Because whether you're a believer today or an unbeliever, do you realize that right now in this moment, your eternity is already settled? You don't have to wait until you stand before God to see which way the scales tip. Based on your faith or your lack of faith right now, your fate is already settled. John 3.36 He who believes is in the Son has eternal life. You see that? Whoever believes, no good works, no good deeds, no being a better person, whoever believes in the Son has, possesses right now, eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You're in one of those two positions today. And if you're in the second, my prayer is that you will enter into the first, and you can enter into the first by placing faith in Jesus today. So that is my challenge to the church, that is my encouragement to the church, and that is my prayer for all of us that we rejoice today in the work that God has done in our lives, the hope that we have in the empty grave and the risen Christ, and the salvation that is available to each and every one of you by faith alone in Him. So we're